Welcome to From the Valley Podcast, episode 23. Today is Monday, the 21st of January 2019. Uh, I've got a special guest with me uh, with me today, Simon Presley from Propertyology. Uh, basically, pro- what Propertyology is, uh, we will find out, I guess, from Simon. So welcome along, Simon. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me on. So just before we get started a bit about your background, just tell us a bit about what Propertyology does and... Uh, and some maybe a bit of the process of how your business works, just a little bit. Okay, um, I guess we're the property investors equivalent of a stockbroker, to use an analogy. Um, so we see all of Australia's 550 city councils that are spread across our eight states and territories as the equivalent of a company on the stock exchange. So um, whether you're a first-time investor or a sophisticated investor, those who prefer residential property as a vehicle for future financial independence. Uh, they might contemplate engaging propertyology. We're a, we're a knowledge source. So all day, every day, we're studying property markets all over the country. And then we use that research to help people identify a particular town or city. Uh, and then within that, we find a specific property asset, negotiate the lowest price and help them with all their due diligence. Excellent. So great service. Um, and how long's propertyology been around for, Simon? Uh, the business has been going 20 years, but the propertyology part of it, which is all we do these days, started about 11 years ago. Okay, excellent. Um, so a bit about background about, I guess, your where you sort of grew up, where were you born and early childhood, what sort of things did you get up to? Yeah, originally an Adelaide boy. Mum and Dad were, were born and raised in Adelaide, so um, first son, that's where I was born. Um, but Dad was in the Army, so my childhood was... Um, on average, every two or three years, relocating from you know from one town to the next. So fortunate um, as a child to lived in several parts of Australia. Yes, that's that's great to get a sort of a good upbringing when you're a child, sort of going right around Australia or you know a few different parts as you mentioned. So that's that's really good. And what sort of when you were sort of in high school, what sort of sports did you play and that sort of thing? Yeah, look, I love sport. Um, and unashamedly, Brisbane Lions is my absolute passion. Yes. Um, but AFL and cricket have always been something that I, and still today, uh, love watching both. Um, but, but easily, if AFL was, you know, 12 months of the year, I'd be watching that every day. Mm. Um, and, in, you know, in my youth, I did a lot of running as well. So little athletics, that sort of thing? Yeah, little athletics, school cross-countries. Um, yep. Yeah, and then you oh, use that that, yeah. that endurance and speed, um, you know, playing team sport. That's excellent. Um, yeah, and what about, what sort of, I guess, academic sort of interests were there in high school? I mean, what did you think you were going to do uh, when you were that sort of age? Yeah, look, it's a great question. I mean, I'm talking to... Um, I guess adolescents, you know, going through their late high school years these days, um, they seem to have the same dilemma that, that I had, and that is I had no idea, Tim, to be honest. Um, I, all I, I went through high school not having a clue what I really wanted to do, but I just adopted the attitude that the better I applied myself to my studies, the more options I'd have. And what I'd, sort I'd of have. studies were you proficient in, do you think? I always had an interest in numbers. I was always yep. good at maths, yep. um, some interest in science. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could turn the clock back, you know, if I could sort of say uh, um, if there's one thing I really wanted to do when I was in grade 12 and had to make a decision, I probably would have done a business degree, um, MBA or something like that. But you don't know what you don't know, and sometimes it takes us many years before we find what our true passion is. Mm. And uh, how old were you when you sort of uh, moved to Brisbane permanently? Yeah, so I moved I moved here from Townsville. So I finished high school in Townsville and started a Commonwealth Bank career. So I had two years um, in the Commonwealth Bank branch in Townsville and I was um, about 20, 19, 20 years of age when I moved to Brisbane. Uh, ne- I'm nearly 50 years of age, so we've been here a while. <laughs> yeah, no, and um, we'll talk a bit about Brisbane um, you know, during the podcast, I guess, some of the things that that um, uh, you know attracted you to this place for a long time um, and what about early career then so what did you you, you worked did you work at the bank for a, long, a period of time or yeah I had 10 years in the Commonwealth Bank mm-hmm. um, I guess looking back I've always liked helping people mm. you know, banking's professional services at the end of the day had, had an interest in mm. in numbers and and money um, finances um, uh, but you know, nine of the ten years I spent with the Commonwealth Bank was in lending. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, whilst it's been a long time since I've been involved in credit, you never lose those skills. And as a property market analyst, um, there's not many, too, not too many people who buy property with cash. So, having an understanding of how credit works is still very important. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
So obviously in there for, and then when when you sort of finished your tenure at the Commonwealth Bank, what was the next sort of thing you got into then? Yeah, I've uh, always been an ambitious person and I get frustrated with bureaucracy. Mm. Um, and when you're in a, a big bank, there's a bit like governments in some ways, there's lots of bureaucracy and you know this is the way it is. Um, even if it's 50 years old, it's this is the way it is. So um, I started to get really frustrated after about year eight um, in the bank with all that bureaucracy and uh, coming to work each day I could see people 20 years my senior mm. um, that have been just as frustrated as me but for longer and probably you know become part of the furniture um, yep. they just they were locked in and felt that they'd been there too long to move so I didn't want that to be me um, so still you know liking lending and helping people um, I set up a broking business that was yeah. over 20 years ago now so I was doing the same thing but rather than working for a bank Mm. Uh, I was working for my client mm. and I had access to all of the lenders. Yeah. So is that when Six Point started? Or? Yeah, yeah. So we're going back, um, yeah, about nearly 21 years ago. Yeah. And where did the Six Point um, name actually come from? Does that, that come from anywhere in particular? Oh, it was sort of, it was partly related to AFL. Six Points is a goal. And I sort of thought, okay. you know, at, the, okay. end, well, at, at the end of the day, you know, what, what are we really doing as, as, a, goals, as a broker? Yeah. We're trying to help people yeah. achieve financial goals. So that I didn't know. That's um, what I'd ask. But yeah, that's a, that, that's a name that hasn't been around for a long time. But we've all got a past, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's definitely um, that's good. So, uh, and then I guess um, w- when did the idea sort of come about with the the property the propertyology branding and and being like buyer's agent, being what you really wanted to do? Um, I mean, I can probably see some aspects of why you probably wanted to do this. Um, obviously. From what I can, from what we can see, there's certainly a huge gap in the market. Yeah. I mean, and there has been, there's probably still a huge gap in the market. Tell us about how you started. Yeah, so yeah, the broking business had been going, well, would have been eight or nine years, and uh, you know we'd won a number of national awards. But um, at the end of the day, you know you have, ref- you, you reflect on what you're doing and why you're doing it. Well, I do from time to time, um, and whilst took a lot of pride in helping people use credit well you know for good purposes and set structures up properly a lot of times the purpose of that loan was to buy a property Mm. and it wasn't necessarily the family home Mm. Um, and I found myself on a regular basis Tim questioning why the heck would you invest there but then I was answering my own questions sort of going well how how will they know where to invest there is just no nothing out there. there's lots of things in life there's a specialist for Um, but uh, more often than not, at a, at a subconscious level, people invest in a location not far from where they live. And that yeah. that pattern, you're not conscious of it, but it gets um, ingrained in you when you buy the first family home. There's a process you go through, but it starts with, well, where, where do I live and where do I work? Mm. You say, if, you, if you're already living and working in Brisbane and you're about to buy that first family home, you're not going to be wasting your time looking in, you know, Perth or anywhere else in Australia, are you? So, and then when it comes time to invest... Um, people confuse research with features and benefits within a community and they're tossing out one suburb from the next suburb but they haven't looked beyond their own city Mm. Um, and so I recognise this is what you know almost all property investors were doing and they were doing that because there was there was not a professional service to help them Mm. help them do that and I don't mean just going to a professional investment business um, to help them invest in property in their hometown that's by and large what a buyer's agent does um key to making a really good decision starts with reviewing 100 percent of your options now no matter where you live in australia 100 percent of your options is every location across our eight states and territories so i recognize way back then that there was no one that literally studied all those markets every day and then could then use that information to find an individual property within it so um lo and behold to me you know when i decided that that was a um a gap that just had never been filled anywhere mm. i knew that uh, it was going to be a big challenge mm. um but um but you, but you seem like someone who you know who is open for that type of challenge i mean you saw that, that obviously doing this would be a huge challenge but you know look where you are well, the drive was the purpose mm. you know knowing that um Australians probably more than any other country in the world have always loved bricks and mortar mm. and they're always going to do it um, gonna, yeah. but no one had filled that, that gap and so a very important gap and so I was driven by that purpose I mean you don't know do you start things exactly how big the challenge is going to be you know how hard is it going to mm. be and you discover pretty quickly mm. why no one else has done it 
um, that's a that's a while ago. And um, so, what, so how long ago did you sort of start studying at a national level? Yeah, well, we were setting the business up, and then a couple of months later, there was this big announcement: the GFC is about to hit. This is two thousand nine, <laughs> whenever it was. Late, yeah. late two thousand eight. So you can imagine those close to me. Yeah. Were sort of questioning uh, my, my sanity. So I'm, what are you doing? You're successful at you know um, helping people acquire loans already. Why do you want to take on this massive challenge when the Armageddon apparently is gonna gonna mm. hit? But um, so there was a couple of years of my life that was uh, doing lots of tertiary study um, and then setting up business systems and, and processes um, for this for this business. Um, and originally the you know we we're just focusing on really understanding Brisbane, my home city. Uh, and helping people invest here, but before too long, I was not—I was not feeling comfortable, Tim. It was like I—I I wouldn't, you know, um, invest in Brisbane at that time. So yeah. I felt really uncomfortable taking a client's money to help them do it, even though they were going to probably do it anyway because they lived in Brisbane themselves. Um, so that's with the pursuit of if we're going to do this, we're going to do it well, we, and we're going to understand markets all over Australia better than anyone else. Yeah, definitely. That's, and uh, I mean, even if you look at. And obviously, props to you for obviously being, you know, truly a, a national buyer's agent. Because I don't really know too many others that that are sort of working at a national level that are buyer's agents. I mean, have you sort of seen any? I haven't seen any, but have you seen any sort of competitors at a national level to you? Um, I believe that we're we're pioneers of this business model. But here now today, there's I don't know, there might be four or five other businesses. Um, that are buying, you know, helping people invest in more than wherever their home city is. Yep. Um, that said, I, I don't think there's anyone that has, I guess, spread their wings anywhere near as far as uh, we have. We're licensed in five states, mm. uh, and I think over the years we've probably invested in certainly more than 20 locations. I don't believe anyone's done anywhere near that. So 20 locations, I mean, that's very that's very um, diversified, isn't very it? Very diverse, It's yeah. like a diversified managed portfolio in a way, isn't it? That, well, if, and that's if they what, invest in the right stocks. Yeah, and, and I guess investing is, is a process. Mm. Whether you are a share investor or a property investor, it's it's a process and mm. um, a process of making really good decisions, reviewing all your options. And whilst it's never always a great time to buy mm. Commonwealth Bank shares or BHP shares, it's never always a great time to invest in Sydney, Brisbane, Orange, or wherever. Mm. <laughs> so uh, let's just sort of look at. We'll talk a bit about some of the, I guess, some of the parts of Australia. A little bit, some more than others, maybe. Um, but obviously Tasmania is one of those places that you've sort of, uh, um, you know, you sort of looked at back in 2003, 2000, no, 2013, 2014, um, said that this was a new hotspot coming up and then it's, and so obviously had a, a nice sort of increase in value, um, in, you know, in the not too distant past. So um, what, what about Tasmania was, I guess, and an attractive sort of point that said, okay, well, this place is going to take off, you know, at, at around this sort of time. Yeah. Well, our, our formal studies, so this is looking at Australian property market history, yeah. our formal studies have taught us that the single biggest influence on a property market changing um, is whatever its economy does. And, th- and this is, uh, you know, key to anyone ever investing in, in property. It's completely different, the family home mm. versus the investment property. Whilst everyone will always say, I'll make this decision without emotion. Mm. Uh, I don't reckon many people do whilst they might say that. So um, you really need to understand economics. Now, way back in, uh, we started investing in Hobart in 2014. So it was late 2013 that it was heavily on our radar. And at that time, the state of Tasmania was in recession and been that way for quite some time. So there wasn't a single person anywhere in the country, including those who live in Tassie, that Mm. had anything positive to say about its property market. Mm. But... It's one thing for a location to be in recession. It's another thing to, well, what are they doing about mm. it? And that's the thing we always take an interest in is what's at the front windscreen, mm. not what's in the rear vision mirror because investing is about, about the future. So um, we understood, the, I guess, the key industries to Tasmania's economy and specifically Hobart, um, and this doesn't happen in a minute, no. um, but over a period of many months, um, we were collating all the information about these very important decisions that the community were making yep. and, and that gave us a lot of confidence that that economy would improve significantly um, and quite quickly. A lot of that is, is related to how the state of Tasmania had identified they could really benefit from the Asian century. 
Yeah, so you think so? Do you think someone like Will Hodgman's had a bit to do with that, with being the the premier now for a few years in Tasmania? Um, that that sort of government was better suited to the, to that to Tasmania as opposed to maybe what would have happened when things weren't so good. Oh, Will Hodgman uh, needs to take a lot of lot of credit, and uh, the whole country can learn a lot from Tasmania's success. Mm. Um, I, I believe that it's the single biggest. Australian economic success story for decades. I can't think of a location that has gone from so bad to so good, um, you know, in a short period of time. But it doesn't happen by accident. Um, well, I guess Will Hodgman, what he did when he became Premier, I think I think Tasmania had the same Premier for about 16 years, so it's a long time. Um, no, no matter which, which you know, part of politics you follow, mm. uh, it's a long, long time for one government. So a new set of eyes came in and he identified that there's about to be a, uh, well, actually probably just started, a, a worldwide tourism boom, Asian-led, and that uh, all parts of the world would benefit from that, but those who benefit the most were, were those who'd be the most proactive. So not only was there a change of government, mm. but Will Hodgman made himself the tourism minister. Yeah. And they spent, um, uh, the, you know, the, probably their number one priority was um, understanding the unique tourism attractions of Tasmania. They're quite different to you know, lots of other parts of the world, and how do we showcase that to Asia? Within a very short period of time of uh, him taking office, the Chinese president mm. made a trip from China and only went to Hobart, didn't go anywhere else. Yeah. So you can imagine the images for those two days that were broadcast mm. back to China where there's about 1.3 billion people. Mm. Um, and Tasmania's, uh, so tourism has been one very key Element mm. of its mm. improved uh, improved economy. Yes, that's Tasmania. What about uh, Perth? I mean, Perth. Um, where do you see that sort of going in the future? Because that sort of gone uh, hasn't really gone forwards for quite some time. Yeah, it sort of went backwards a bit, and it's probably been fairly flat. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's always learnings for everyone about every location. The learnings from Perth is well, Perth is officially Australia's fourth biggest city. Mm. Anyone who says capital cities are safer or grow more or whatever, well. Um, a typical property in Perth today mm. in 2019 is worth exactly the same as what it was worth 10 years ago. Yeah. So uh, the word capital in capital growth is, is not there. Uh, sorry, the word capital in capital city is not there for capital growth. It's not got nothing to do with property markets. Um, so that's something that people can learn from Perth. Brisbane hasn't done much better over no. that same period of time. Um, the outlook for Perth today is as good as it's been for you know five or six years. Mm. Um, Perth's economy is heavily influenced by the resources sector, mm. as is Brisbane for that matter. Um, and for a good 15 years or so, um, prior to about 2012-13, the resources sector was... Mm just going from strength to strength, but then, of course, it um, mm. had a significant downturn. What we've seen over the last two years is a very solid recovery in the resources sector, mm. and in 2019 onwards, um, we'll see a big improvement in job creation in places like Perth. Okay. And what about Adelaide? I mean, population seems to lag behind a bit of the other capital cities. Lovely city. I mean, I went there for the first time recently, and... Um, it is. It's. It's got that nice sort of look about it, and sort of some old heritage listed buildings, and you're only an hour drive from where you know wine country. Tell me what you think about South Australia's future. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities um, with the property market of Adelaide and Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst they're very different economic profiles, largely their their economy has been very underwhelming and somewhat disappoint, disappointing over the mm-hmm. last four or five years when other cities. Sydney, yep. Melbourne, yep. Hobart have done really, really well. Um, the future for Adelaide is is better than the past. I don't anticipate any uh, any boom anytime soon. That doesn't mean it's not capable of it, though. Um, Adelaide also, or South Australia also, had a change of government uh, about this time last year after a long period of time of having the same state government. So you've got a new set of eyes looking over the South Australian economy for the first time in a long time. Mm. Um, we watch with interest um, you know, what that new set of eyes will discover and what, what they do. But just sometimes a, a, a different um, bum on a seat can change the mood of a, of a place. Mm. Uh, um, so there are some early signs, I think, of improving confidence. Mm. We do know that Adelaide has relatively tight housing supply, mm. unlike the big capital cities, Sydney and Melbourne, that are significantly mm. oversupplied. Mm. Um, whilst the economy hasn't been bad, um, it, it hasn't been um, robust, 
there are signs that it's improving though. Mm. Um, so if that trend continues of its improving economy, mm. um, you know that creates jobs, that creates wage growth, that creates extra demand for housing. Mm. In a location where housing is already affordable and supply is tight, mm. that's when you get price pressure. Mm. So we're going to talk a little bit, bit about, uh, I guess, our home city or where, you, where we both live now in Brisbane. Um, so, tell, first of all, you said you've been here for 30 years. What, what do you actually like about Brisbane? What, what are the things that attracted it to living in this part of the world in particular? And, and I guess, what would you like to see Brisbane, you know, where do you, would you like to see Brisbane go in the future? Is it, do you see yourself calling this place home for the next 20 years? Uh, maybe. Um, what do I like about Brisbane? Firstly, I, I, I love its weather and uh, it's got a relaxed Lifestyle, I certainly enjoy that. Uh, I could never see myself living in a really congested place such as Sydney. Yeah. Um, that said, I'm, I'm sport and I've seen uh, lots of wonderful locations in um, regional Australia as well. But I like, yes, that's what I like about about Brisbane. Um, I've been uh, on record deliberately over the last sort of 12 months critical of Brisbane. Yeah, um, yeah of course. Uh, not just its property market, but more its, its town planning or, or lack thereof. Um, that criticism is directed at both state and, and local government. Um, I, don't, I don't see, I haven't heard any really, really strong vision. Um, Brisbane, at the end of the day, is Australia's third largest city. And if you think of the, some of the things that Sydney and Melbourne are renowned for and then you know, compare what Brisbane has done in that space, it's very little. Mm. The last major urban renewal project that Brisbane did was South Bank, mm. which I think is about 30 years ago. Um, sure, there's uh, there's uh, uh, signs of, of smaller urban renewal projects um, in different suburbs here and there, but that happens everywhere, capital city, non-capital yep, city. Yep. I'm talking big city changing stuff. Yep. Um, and every year there's something um, significant that Sydney and Melbourne do, mm. but Brisbane hasn't done anything for 30 years. Uh, yep. Queen's Wharf um, is a game changer for Brisbane. You're talking mm. um, um, the equivalent of a small suburb that's going to completely... Yep. change and and it's things like that that will uh, that Brisbane needs to do to put itself um, you know on on the world stage that's yeah. been disappointing a lot a lot to see more vision because um, mm. I think Brisbane has a lot of potential yeah um, do you think I mean do you think um, the previous government had more vision than the current state government uh, I think um, Probably the last visionary leader that Queensland had was a fellow called Peter Beatty. Um, okay. Whether we agreed or disagreed, uh, you know, with his philosophy, at least he, he had a crack. Um, mm. Great state is that what he? You know, the tagline. Smart line? state. Smart state. You know, um, that that's a sign of someone who has a vision and, and an aspiration. Mm. Um, I, I can't recall anyone since then, and we've mm. had a few, you know, premiers, mm. haven't we, since then? Yeah. Um, I, I can't recall anyone since then and including today using that sort of language mm. if you're not using that language that's a reflection to the public that mm. it's not in your thoughts yeah so i guess the leader since him the the vision visionary sort of been a bit more short-sighted with, with anna Bly, campbell and now palaszczuk yeah um none of them have, have sort of taken too much of a as you say and it you think that sort of hurt what's happened to the prices in Brisbane in particular? Or? Well, property markets is uh, by and large a reflection of an economy. So if mm. you've got, we mentioned Perth earlier, we mentioned Brisbane and Adelaide. Yeah. If you've got a property market anywhere that mm. hasn't seen much growth at all over a long period of time, mm. the answer will always be, well, its economy has done very, very little. Yeah. Um, I think the elephant in the room for Queensland's economy that everyone seems to be ignoring mm. is it officially has the highest level of debt of any state and territory in Australia. Yeah. Um, that must be addressed, but mm. no one seems to want to um, address it. So if someone doesn't address it, the state unfortunately will continue to underperform until it does address. But addressing it will require uh, some pain initially. Mm. And it's whether... I guess whether we have a strong enough leader at some point who's mm. prepared uh, and, and I guess needs to engage with the public and explain this is the situation, it's not good, but I've actually got a strategy to address it. Mm. Um, we're all going to you know, have to tighten the belt for a short period of time, but if we do it, this mm. is how we could look at the other side of that. Yep. So obviously one of your things is, um, which, which is fair enough, you've obviously got, you've done a lot of research, you, you know your craft, you know your stuff. 
Um, but those smaller uh, than capital cities, obviously the you know the, the cities that you call satellite cities, um, you've been a huge fan of those for the last five years. Um, from what I've you know doing your readings and stuff like that, what is it about those types of satellite cities that what do, what do they get right to to actually get their property prices going up in an upward trajectory, especially? You know, at least a couple of times over the last ten or fifteen years. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I say this honestly. Literally all day, every day, we're studying the economies and the property market potential of every location in Australia. Now, people might be surprised to learn that, in addition to our eight capital cities, all up we've got one hundred and eighty establishments, towns and cities across this country with a population of ten thousand or more. That's a heck of a lot of locations. Yep. So we're looking at how those markets are going every day, but more importantly, what the potential they have. Mm. Um, we'll never be any more in favour or against capital cities or non-capital cities. We're mm. just always going to maintain an objective view. But for mm. a few years now, um, or going back a few years ago, we could foresee that there would be a period in Australia's history um, where most, if not all, capital cities would be underwhelming but at that same period of time, we could foresee large parts of um, rural, not rural, regional Australia, anything outside of capital cities, regional, um, that would be improving. And that's an economic story. Mm. Um, and it's all mostly related to Asia. Mm. Um, everyone would have heard the term Australia is Asia's food bowl. Mm. Australia's history is, is it was built on agriculture. Mm. And those agricultural commodities have always been there. But now when you've got... Um, you know, billions of people exiting poverty and entering middle class. Mm. They want a Western diet. So large parts of uh, regional Australia who have high-quality agricultural products, their economies mm. are not only robust now but for a long period of time. People would have heard, I'm sure, of a, of a term called free trade agreements. But most people, when it comes to real estate, don't join those two dots together. Mm. We join those dots together in a big way and see, you know, start to think about which parts of Australia will take advantage of that, how will that create jobs? It's not just at the farm. In a lot of cases, it's actually in the factory, mm. the processing of whatever raw ingredients into something else. It's also in the um, uh, logistics of that, um, you know, transporting it from a factory to a, a port or an airport or something like that. So they're the money trials that propertyology follows. Um, what we know is once we get outside of our capital cities, the cost of housing is very affordable for most people. Um, the supply levels in most of those non-capital city locations is actually tight. Yeah. It's actually quite tight. Vacancy rates have been low for some time and, and falling. Um, so that's a good um, you know, set of fundamentals that a property investor needs to look for. So if you've got tight supply, you've got um, affordable housing, mm. and then as economies improve in these locations – that's when the demand increases for housing, confidence at a local level increases and property prices grow. So um, parts of regional Australia, um, they are booming already mm. and they will continue to boom for some time in our opinion. Yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously your research has obviously you know, found all those particular, you know, the ones that sort of work really well and as you said, there's quite, quite a few of them around, which is really, really good. Um, I guess couple of things I was going to say. I'm sure I'll come back to the other one. Um, tell me about the media. I mean, the media get... What I, what I really hate about this, and you probably back me up here, is that the media get in, involved in... and would get involved in the discussion about property prices. They get in, involved in the discussion about, you know, houses being unaffordable. They get involved in all these different discussions. But the, their research... You know, it's probably about uh, you know one percent of what you've done. Mm. So they've done one percent of the research that you've done, um, yet they trying to tell whole Australia exactly what's happening. And that, to me, that that as a you know as a professional, that's infuriating. It must be infuriating for you when you when you see these stupid articles. You obviously things. follow me on social media. Uh, oh, well, yeah, I do get I do get frustrated. Look and. Have you accepted it, or that, that's? The oh, it's it always going to happen, and 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 um, those you know members of the media who, who are guilty of this, so they don't mean any harm, but um, they are in a position of significant influence. You know, they when are. they when they put their keys on the on the um, they throw their fingers on the keyboard and, and then spit out some kind of article. 
there will always be Australia's media will always be dominated by real estate related stories because we've always loved our property and we always will um, but it is frustrating and why it's so frustrating is uh, so much of what's said about Australian real estate uh, is a reflection of what's happening in Sydney and Melbourne at that particular point in time. So if we go back a few years ago, um, mainstream media commentary was saying the entire country of Australia was having a property boom. But the fact was that Sydney and Melbourne were having a property boom and a couple of years after that, Hobart also started a property boom, but most of Australia was far from having a property boom. And now we fast forward to 2018, 2019, and those two big cities are having a pretty significant downturn. Mm. And what's being reported on a daily basis is all doom and gloom, when the reality is the outlook for most of Australia, most of Australia, Mm. um, but obviously excluding Sydney and Melbourne, is as good as it's been for a decade or more. But that's Mm. not what the dialogue's saying. Um, So where's that come from? Um, Those who produce... Um, a lot of the media stories live in Sydney or Melbourne and I guess their reality is in their city is generally what, what they're yeah, reporting. I can see that. Yeah. But, but also I think um, the word expert gets thrown out a lot, especially in property. Um, so when a, when a media representative goes to a so-called expert, I'd question you know, uh, the credibility of some of those so-called experts. Mm. Well, I congratulate what you've done with Propertyology to to really sort of nationalise, you know, your beliefs when it comes to to, to what you do. Um, when did you first, I guess, when did you first sort of, uh, I guess, get the ability to be able to get, when did Sky News call up and say, we want you on, basically? When did that first happen? Um, yeah, well, I guess our media profile is quite, quite strong now, but, um, you know, whether you're in the property industry or any industry, mm. anyone... Um, who uh, whose business will benefit from a media profile would know that it doesn't just happen. No, it doesn't. Um, or I can remember, you know, many years ago, um, trying to share some of our research with a with a journalist and and not even getting a phone call yep. returned. Yeah, on a regular basis. Yep. Um, but persistent pays for yep. most things in life, doesn't it? Um, and especially when a lot of your a lot of your forecasts are, uh, um, I guess, at the time were conflicting to what the masses were saying and then as things unfold you're proven to be accurate um that's when you you earn that that right um and now more often than not a, a very rarely a day would go by when someone from the media doesn't contact propertyology for comment on something so yeah, um, hard work to get there but um satisfying not, yeah definitely satisfying that they they obviously do approach you for for you know your sort of expertise opinion on on any you know it might be a particular matter on something so that's really good, and I, I mean, I, I enjoyed obviously going to that lunch a, a year or two ago when you you spoke about uh, there were media there, I think, uh, and you did speak fairly candidly about what's going on. That you know, it's crap that uh, you know that people think that Australia doesn't have affordable housing when it does. Mm. And again, that was a, a debate that raised um, raged uh, from 2015 to 2017, all Sydney centric. That you know. Every day we were hearing about this housing affordability crisis, and we we never said that you know um, Sydney was not expensive. It always has been. Um, the reality is it always will be. And anyone who says they've got a policy or a solution to fix that is lying to those who say that too. It will always be expensive in Sydney. Yep. But to say we had a national crisis, we never did. Yeah. Um, the, the debate raged, uh, you know, because we understand the frustration of uh, someone who wants to, who lives in Sydney, who wants to buy a property and, mm. and, and couldn't buy it. But outside of um, Sydney and Melbourne, housing is affordable everywhere. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Have you seen uh, a lot more of rent vesting over the last few years where people just actually uh, will rent those sort of premium places uh, because it's close to where, where they're making their, their money and then invest in, in the other areas? Are you seeing more of that? Yeah, oh, I think it's the new black and it's um, it, it, it's more than a fad. It's something that's, um, yep. you know, I think uh, is here to stay. Um, for, for listeners who are not sure what rent vesting is, it's someone who makes a conscious decision to the property that they live in, they elect to rent, but it doesn't mean that they're not responsible with their money. Um, in fact, we've got many clients that um, they live in a property that they rent for lifestyle choices, um, but could have, you know, four, five, six investment properties. Um, why people might do that? Um, I think a lot of younger people, as they married, are starting families later. 
Um, they still might like the travel. So they're not ready to anchor down routes somewhere. They want to they want to still be mobile. Um, they might be ambitious with their career and recognise that they could get a transfer. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that they're not responsible with, with their money. So they've got the best of both worlds and they sort of say, well, we, we want to live here at the moment, so we'll rent it um, and we'll continue to save our penalties and we'll, we'll buy property. But instead of being limited mm. to buying property in CDX because mm. I live in CDX, we'll buy property where the best mm. research says is the best place mm. to buy. Mm. It's just like any expert, and you are an expert in your field, I mean, um, what lessons have you learned over the last 10 years as far as investing in different locations in Australia? Obviously, you, you may not get it right the way you want to get it right 100% of the time, but what have you learned? Is there anything that you sort of learnt as oh, far um, as... To be honest, I'm a full-time student of property markets. You're always learning. I guess a bit like a doctor, you know, yeah. you're, you're always learning. Mm. There is a science to it, yes. um, but there's, it's by no means an exact science. Um, no, that's at, right. at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is predict human behaviour. Mm. And can you think of anything more unpredictable than human beings? Yeah. I can't. No. Every human being is different. Um, but yeah, I guess we're trying to predict what the masses will do in a in a, in a particular location. Some things we've learned: um, the economy has the biggest influence, um, and so we we put more resources, more energy yep. into understanding what's happening uh, in an economy. And it's not just the here and now; it's more important the decisions that are being made that will affect the future. That is a lot more important than property specific data. For anyone who contemplates investing in property and wants to be a DIY, mm. let me tell you that numbers at the back of a book about a median house price or something like that, mm. I'm not saying they're not important, but mm. they are right down the bottom. Um, lots of myths in property um, that historical studies have, um, have taught us. This often surprises people, but population growth has nowhere near a, as big an influence on property price growth as what people would think. Um, we've got a blog on our website if people want to read that. But if, you, if, you chal- if, if, you, if you're questioning what I've just said there, because it does sort of throw people's minds around a bit, Australia's two biggest population growth rates over the last two years has occurred in Sydney and Melbourne, but mm. yet both cities are experiencing a significant decline right now. Mm. Right. Mm. And there are, there are all sorts of case studies of locations where population has grown by very little, or in fact maybe not at all, but its property market has mm. performed quite well so we're learning that the influence of supply yeah. it's something that at a, at a local level you can drive around you can look at cranes you can look at excavators and sort of say oh there's they're building some more houses there is that too much but it's what you can't see mm. um it's things that have been approved i mean brisbane for example is in a city um is recovering now but if you drive around brisbane's in a city 10 years ago um there was no evidence of significant oversupply but the things that we look at um, is before those things are, are, are approved or the building approval volumes. You're always learning, Tim. Yeah, no, it's great. That, and I like it how you, you know, you, you use Facebook in particular as, as a way of sharing a lot of your stories and, and, and opinions without sort of being too specific, which is good. I mean, it's, it's very smart what you do uh, when it comes to the way you sort of, sort of report the stories, the way you write the stories, uh, you know, very professionally done and they sort of make sense and the, obviously it, there's an idea to sort of okay we want we want to the people that are interested in this we want to make sure that you know you, you know some information we're here to help you if you want to if you're really serious um so yeah i mean i guess um one of the things just going back to brisbane a little bit yep. um uh, have you have you sort of familiar at all what, what the valley are doing at the moment the the, the valley vision what they sort of where they anticipate the the, the valley is going to look like in five ten twenty years time at a general level yeah. um, it's not important to us to get right into the specifics of yeah. that because the valley is yeah. a part of Brisbane that yeah. we wouldn't necessarily invest in but at a general level yeah I mean we've and my office is in Fortitude Valley so yeah. we've certainly seen that evolve mm. you know where I sit every day out, out my window um, yeah. directly across the road used to be an, an Avis a car warehouse, a one one level warehouse. Mm. Uh, that site was purchased about six years ago, and they're constructing, I think, thirty story residential apartment block. So mm. um, we've seen them dig the hole, and I think they're now constructed up to about uh, level ten or something like that. So mm. I can still see over the, over the top of that project, but I think in about six months' time, I'll have a shadow in, mm. in front of me. So the valley certainly is evolving in a big way. 
Yeah, definitely. What do you think your challenges are for the future of your career? I mean, where do you see propertyology uh, in 10 years' time? Do you still still being the status quo, or are you going to evolve into even something better? Or um, our, our vision is just to do more of what we're very proud of. Um, yeah, you know, it's... It, it, I don't know if we could do more research because okay. um, uh, we do that, that, that much of it, but just to help more people, um, you know, uh, to, to expand in such a way that we have the resources, you know, at our disposable mm. uh, to, to help more Australians in, invest in property. Our, our objective, our vision, if you like, um, which we're living every day, is to prove to Australians that it doesn't matter where you live and work, you can invest in any part of the country. That's what mm. we help people do. Mm. What about, uh, and I, I mean, have you sort of contemplated the idea of sort of going next door and, and looking at their property market at New Zealand? Have you sort of ever contemplated, well, let, we've done a, we've got a, all the data we've got here on Australia, you know, I want to find out what's going on in New Zealand. I want the challenge of, of, of you know, being an expert there because there's nobody over there who would be an expert like you are here for Australia, for example. Yeah, I mean, I've learned in life to never say never. Mm. Because there probably was a time back in about, say, 2009 when my team at work would have heard me say, I'd never invest in Hobart. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have invested in Hobart and lots of people are very grateful that we did. I ne- so I never say never, but I've been asked a question before about okay. um, yeah, New Zealand or any other, other country. Um, I'd say it's highly unlikely. There were just um, – properties are a massive big jigsaw puzzle with yep. lots and lots of pieces to it. Mm. And it's, um, you know, it's a 24-7 job – 52 yeah. weeks of the year to uh, do the best that one can all over Australia. Yeah. Um, but it's sure. not just the economic stuff. You know, mm. So when you get outside of a, into a different country, mm. it's those same pieces to the puzzle that you're trying to put together somewhere else, but you've mm. also got uh, government changes. Um, you know, so you've got different political climates, you've got different cultures, you've got um, the way funding is raised is, is different. different. Um, yeah. Taxes are different. So... Um, yeah. It's really two massive big jigsaw puzzles, so that's yeah. why it's highly unlikely. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, obviously, you've certainly done a great job being an expert in Australia, and, you know, obviously a lot of your clients are very thankful uh, that you exist, you know, I think, because um, you've certainly, you know, helped them achieve some of their, or we will help them achieve their goals in the future, not not, not, not so much, you know, here and now, but, you know, these things, as you as you know, a property, it should be a medium to long term. It's like planting a seed in the ground, isn't yeah, it? Um, long term objective, it, yep. as opposed to three or four years. Um, so yeah, that's that's really good. So the Brisbane Lions, you said you're a big fan of the Brisbane Lions. Um, obviously, they had those three premierships in the row back in back in you know nearly twenty years ago. <laughs> that remind us. When are they going to <laughs> When are they going to sort themselves out? Any any time soon. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I guess in some ways, professional sporting clubs can. Yeah, there's some similarities to um, to property markets. Uh, they can perform miserably for a long period of time, but the only way they'll get better is if they're making some really good decisions. And one thing I'm absolutely certain of is a lot of really good decisions have been made at the Brisbane Lions over the last three or four years mm-hmm. uh, to some key people, coaches, and you know, CEOs and board members. Uh, leadership starts at the top. And some wonderful recruiting decisions. Um, oh, and I am so excited as uh, we get close to the first bounce for 2019. We've got a really young batch they, uh, of highly talented people that absolutely love themselves. Um, they're all signed up long term. They're not going anywhere. Well, and success is only a matter of time. Now, will we see some of that in 2019? Possibility. Um, development, you know, is something you can't. Um, you can't put your finger on and say, "Will it happen this year? Will it happen next year?" But what I'm confident of, it's going to happen. Yeah, and I mean, thing as you said, things go in cycles. So you'd be very, very, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if the lines are back in the eight, you know, in the next three or four years. Um, things do go in cycles. So you went to the Phil Collins concert on Saturday. I saw. Uh, what do you think of Phil Collins in his? Um, a twilight of his career, I guess. Oh, sensational! I must admit, um, six months ago, whenever it was that uh, it was advertised he was coming here, I was I was blown away. I haven't heard the name Phil Collins uh, for probably twenty five years, um, other than you know you hear a song on the radio. But uh, him saying he's actually doing anything. My recollection is I I recall way back then he had a hearing problem, so he therefore couldn't perform any longer. Mm. Um, and then out of the blue, he's He's touring Brisbane. I said to my wife Bridget, "We we got to go." <laughs> um, he called his tour. Uh, he calls his tour uh, not dead yet, 
Now, yeah, f- yeah. for those who, f- you know, followed uh, Phil when he was performing live, you know, and producing all those hits year after year, he got a bit of a sense of humour. He arrived on stage, he walked out the stage with a walking stick, and I thought it was a joke. <laughs> um, it's, but he explained to us after about the third song that he had a major back operation a couple yep. of years ago, his foot doesn't work, he said, and he spent all bar one song... Um, the whole concert he spent in a chair, mm. which the first couple of songs was a bit awkward, mm. and entertainers are you know up and about and dancing. In his case, he's behind the drums, mm. but he can't do that anymore either. But uh, he has not lost anything. Uh, I've seen a lot of a good voice then. Oh, he, uh, um, I've seen a lot of concerts over the over the years, and uh, I would regard his concert on Saturday night as the best I've seen. I know it's a big big call, but it was mm. unbelievable. Mm. So is that the type of music you like, the classic sort of rock, like the Phil Collins style, or is there any other particular types of music that sort of interest you at all? Um, 80s and 90s is yeah. sort of the stuff I... Yeah. Don't ask me why, but you like what you like, and yeah, exactly. that's the stuff that I like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, U2 is my favourite band. U2, yep, yep. Bono, yep. It's, um, they're still... I, I don't know if they're... Are they still around, or are they, what are they doing? They're still around, probably not as active as what they were before, yeah. but, they're, yeah, they're still around. Still around, and what what other sort of hobbies do you have? Do you like what do you play any sport at the moment, or do you go to the gym to keep fit? Running, biking, cycling, lime scooters. What what do you? Do? <laughs> lime scooters are everywhere, aren't they? Um, look, I try to get to the gym twice a week. Yep. Uh, that's my exercise. Uh, uh, my secret is just good diet. It's yep, something I learnt in my early early twenties. Yeah. It's actually more important than than exercise is what what you put in your mouth. So um, I like to think I keep healthy through through good nutrition. Um, and uh, yeah, going to the gym a couple of times a year. Um, other, other hobbies, um, that busy during the week. Uh, I, I'm a bit of a couch potato on weekends. And, so, what do you uh, like to watch on TV sport, I'm, I'm assuming, or cricket? Yeah, love, love sport. And um, my wife's got me into a few series on Netflix and that sort of stuff. What but, sort of series? Um, Ozark is something I've watched recently. Um, and there was one about. Uh, Oh, Colombo drug um, thing. I forget what it was called. Narcos was quite okay. interesting. Quite quite graphic, but quite interesting. That's what you want. Um, also, don't, don't mind sort of just getting out in the yard and um, you know getting a bit of fresh air and yeah. mowing the lawn and trimming a few hedges and that sort of stuff. Yeah, this, this time of year you definitely have to mow the lawn if you, uh, very often, don't we? Only once a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Does a young fella does he get out and mow the lawn? Uh, yes, my uh, my young <laughs> young son good. Hayden uh, certainly does does help out there. He does a good job. Yeah, that's, uh, and he get does he get pocket money? <laughs> he gets pocket money. We get reminded of when it's due too. <laughs> do you? He just sends a automatic reminder, little text message. Hey, Dad, give me my give me my pocket money. Something like that. It's <laughs> uh, good stuff. Um, let's see what else I've got here. But um, yeah, so I guess. The, the, the one thing that's happening this year is, um, what I mean, and I like I like to get a bit of your comment about this because it's been it's been very distracting for people in Australia is is what's happened with the constant change of prime ministers and then we have got another election this year, uh, and that certainly has an effect on everything. Maybe to the economy, um, if Labor get in, lots of different changes are going to to sort of affect um, the economy. Uh, potentially can affect the economy as well. Um, a couple of weeks ago when I spoke to Jeff, um, the biggest one is, is obviously the, the imputation credits not being refundable. Um, that's, that's a massive one. The super funds are going to lose out. Um, you know, people that are turning, that are 60 are going to, you know, that are, don't earn a lot. Yeah. Um, they're going to miss out. The property market's got, got uh, negative gearing uh, in, in its sort of forward window as to what's going to happen there because... And if it does come in, that's something that will take certainly take some time to develop over a long period of time. How that affects the economy? What do you think about all these changes that um, are getting proposed? Yeah, well, that's that's a big question, isn't it? Where do we start? Um, look, what you've highlighted is uh, we spoke earlier about leadership at a, at a um, Queensland state level, but you just asked a good, really good question about a, at a federal level. Well, we haven't had any there either, have we? I think the. Uh, the, the last long-standing Prime Minister Australia John, had was, yeah. was was John Howard was 13 years or something. But since then, I did add it up once. We've had something like seven Prime Ministers yep. in 11 years. I mean, the rest of the world must be looking at this country and laughing at us. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the polls at the moment are saying it'll be a, a Labor federal election. As you can imagine... With, sort with, of big favourites at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. As you, um, I think a lot of that's related to... Uh, the in-house uh, bickering yeah. that Liberal have uh, sort of shown, but um, 
Uh, who knows? I don't believe it's a foregone conclusion. No. Um, negative gearing, yeah, but as you can imagine, it's a question that we get asked regularly given the nature of our business. We, 100% of our clients, we help invest mm. in property. Um, I certainly don't agree with the policy, but not so much from a property market perspective. I don't think if if negative gearing was to be scrapped as Labor are proposing, it's not going to have as big an impact on property markets as what people think. Um, it won't have a positive impact. I think it's, I mean, it's more of a long-term um medium long-term effect as opposed to an well may have an immediate effect you don't know but it shouldn't i mean if people are sensible it shouldn't have a, an immediate well so the thing effect. with negative gearing is is firstly it's only applicable to a property investor so that's three out of ten people who transact also, in property it, 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 that's also going to no it's also going to affect um from the way the labor um have drafted the policy it will affect people that uh that uh i guess make losses on their on their share investments. So yeah. if, you, if you're buying to, to, to buy dividend-paying shares, then and you make a loss and you offset that loss now against your other income, you're not going to be able to do that from when the legislation comes in as well. No, so but I believe you can accumulate it and offset it against. Well, you can. You be able, I mean, there are and people have different situations. People will be, will be able to offset the income, and some people may not be able to offset that type those yeah. types of income. So it's it's going to affect people differently. Um, and obviously, property will be probably for, for obviously for from a, a line in the sand. And obviously, if you've got negative gearing already, then they're they not, not going to be able to stop that. Yeah. Until it's bad policy. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, according to the polls, mm. you know, in a few months' time, we'll have a. If the polls are right, in a few months' time, we'll have a federal election. Labor will win. Then, if Labor do what they've said, maybe 12, 80 months after that, uh, negative gearing won't exist. Now, there's that's. Big hypotheticals, but yeah, exactly. you know uh, it may not unfold that way. But let's imagine that it, that it did. Um, it's bad policy because uh, not so much to do with property markets or share investing or whatever. Mm. It's a financial experiment. Mm. Uh, negative gearing um, has been around for a hundred odd years. It's mm. ingrained um, in everything that um, makes up an economy. It's not just. Mm. All those investors who get to offset a loss on an asset against, mm. you know, against something else. It's not. It's not about that. Mm. Um, it has a big impact on real estate and not just real estate investors. Mm. Um, it, it affects the construction industry mm. and the supply of housing. Um, it affects uh, the biggest thing. It, it affects is the federal budget. The single biggest line item in the federal budget every year is age pensions. Yep. Fifty billion dollars. In one year, is spent in age pensions. Now, this isn't a, an attack on pensioners at all. My parents are are age pensioners, but that's a failure as a country. Mm. Um, if it shows that we haven't invested in financial literacy, because if we did do that, our predecessors would have made some different decisions with their money. Mm. And a bigger percentage of them would have been mm. financially independent and therefore not need an age pension. Mm. Uh, if that happened, instead of having, say, $50 billion we've got to find on the 1st of January each year, we might have had to find $30 billion. Mm. Um, imagine what we could do with that extra $20 billion. Have you heard a term called infrastructure? We sort of need a bit of that sort of stuff, but um, no levels of government have enough money to fund it. So mm. um, we actually need to encourage investing Personally, I don't care if someone invests in property shares or EMUs. Yep, agree. You need to invest in your future. Mm. Um, and, f- and to get pe- more people to do that, you need to encourage that. Mm. So when you start tinkering with things like negative gearing and a whole bit of other, other stuff, you're actually discouraging that. I don't understand that attitude. Yeah, and the other, the other thing that's um, – and just a question just to, for you. I mean, obviously you help people invest in a lot of residential property. Uh, what percentage – of those clients would be using their super fund in an LRBA arrangement that, that are your clients? Uh, just, um, just a rough figure. Mm, I'm going to guess here. It's a small percentage. Yeah, um, less than 10%? Yeah, 5 to 10%, I would guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in a, in a, you know, on average, let's say we bought 10 investment properties in various parts of Australia each month. One of those might yeah. be f- for a super fund. Um, yeah. Certainly very popular. Yeah. Some big numbers are, um, mm. you know, out there, aren't there, about how many households currently have a self-managed super fund compared to the old-fashioned yeah. industry or retail funds. But uh, one of the things that Labor are also going to try to outlaw is they're trying to they're going to try to get rid of LRBAs altogether, so, which means that super funds won't... Well, it'll go back to you know, 11 or well, 13, 12 years ago when super funds couldn't borrow, so it'll yeah. go back to... 
Yeah, must admit, I don't, I don't agree with that. Again, if we've, um, you know, going back to the statements, uh, statistics I gave you about our age pension, mm. $50 billion a year. Um, yes, we need to have good governance around self-managed superannuations, but if someone actually wants to manage their own, um, you know, the key is give them some good education and encourage them to, to partner up with some good businesses like your business, my business, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, but if someone wants to take ownership for their future, mm. to me that's a good thing. Mm. That, that is a good thing. Mm. Um, put some safety nets around them. Mm. Um, but, geez, how, how well have our banks done um, with superannuation? What's sort of coming out of the Royal Commission? I don't hear lots of really positive stuff no, coming out of there. No, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a, a huge, it's, a, it's a mixed bag and there's a lot of negative, negative stuff coming out there as well um, when it comes to you know, banks in particular. Um, the other thing, so I guess if someone wants to engage in your services, um, and obviously coming to, toward the end of the podcast now, what, what are the steps involved in, in how do they get in contact with you and, and what, what, what sort of process do you go through with them in order to be able to go out there and, and, uh, and find the, the right investment for them? Yeah, uh, look, initially um, a 10 or 15 minute discussion uh, is a good way to start um, and that's best done over the phone. Um, can I, if I can give the number a plug, one three hundred sixty five forty seventy. Just a general discussion about a bit about who you are. Doesn't matter where you live. Ninety five percent of our clients do not live in Brisbane, so ninety five percent don't live don't live in Brisbane. Okay. Yeah. Um, so geography is never an issue. Um, we embrace modern technology, but initially, just just give us a call, and have a bit of a chat about who you are and your your, mm. your, your journey to date and what you like to achieve. Um, whether you live in Brisbane or not, um, yep. we're going to uh, get you to watch a 20-minute professional video that's going to have lots of frequently asked questions yep. in there. Beautiful. Um, that's good. So that's a good way before someone wastes any time, signs any forms to get a feel for what we do, um, how we hope to add value mm. and, and answer most people's um, questions. And then from there, um, you know, um, more in-depth discussion about our research and how we do pick Locations. That's a really important part of uh, relationship building. We've got to establish trust and confidence. And if mm. we don't do that with someone inquiring about our services, frankly, they shouldn't appoint us. Mm. So do you get most of your business from uh, referrals from existing clients or do you find that uh, the Facebook and, and the SEO that you do with the website and, and Facebook in particular are getting you generating new leads and new business? It's a good mix. Um, we do have a very high um, repeat client. Um, yes. You know, ratio. Um, although property is one of those things because it's so damn expensive and not something that, uh, you know, no matter how motivated you are, that you can afford to do every day. But the fact that you've got so many people that mm. we've invested in in previous years coming back is a good thing and they refer lots of but people I think, to us. I mean, I think another thing I've seen what you guys do, which is, is definitely beneficial, is you step more through a, a, a longer term plan, don't you? Like you sort of. Um, say, look, okay, here's a property we're going to buy in this year and four years' time, let's target to buy another property um, and we'll find the location at the time. Is there that sort of sort of Yeah, side, strategic planning rather than just ad hoc, mm. you know, let's buy this because I can afford it. Um, yeah, some key decisions, uh, even before we start thinking about where you might buy that, there's some really important decisions. It's a bit like building a house rather than focusing on all the, mm. the nice TVs and couches you want to put in there. You've got to get a really good foundation on the house, mm. otherwise um, when you build it, you're not going to be really happy. So yeah. some good strategic planning. Do you sort of have, have much discussion with the clients about their like their personal finance situation? Because obviously being a finance broker background as well, I'm, I'm sure that's probably something you sort of look at with the, when you're sort of looking at whether the clients can afford this or afford that. and Yeah, we don't dissect it in, in a way that a bank would and yes. needs to, but certainly we have an interest in their, their capacity and you know what they can afford, what they can't afford. Uh, and similarly, you know, if they've already got investment properties, um, it's important to us before we start recommending where they might invest next as to where they currently are now. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess uh, so. That's that's been uh, pretty much the podcast, Simon. Uh, Propertyology.com.au is the website. Um, look it up on Facebook. It, it's always very. It's sort of daily articles, pretty much coming uh, out of Facebook uh, web page. Where there, how many different people are liking that page? About we're about eleven and a half thousand people who yeah. follow us on Facebook. Um, there's an option on the, on the Propertyology website. Um, we do a fortnightly newsletter, which I promise yep. people is. Non-sales, mm. um, you know, there's two or three research blogs in there every month. Um, from time to time, there's updates on what's happening in Brisbane, but also, you know, we share some insights about 
why we think certain markets all around the country are going to do certain things um, and some educational blogs. So subscribe to that. Cost nothing. And I promise you, we won't be knocking on your door trying to sell you something. No, that's really good. I really thank you for your time because I know your time's precious, Simon. Uh, I do appreciate you coming in here uh, to get the podcast uh, today. And what, once pleasure. I get it up and and up on Facebook, please share it around. Uh, um, so far, we've had about, I think, over 560 listens of other podcasts. I think the most, most ones have been about 40 for a particular podcast. Let's see if you can get up there and get uh, that, that many sort of people listening. Absolutely. Uh, well done. Keep up your good work. Yeah, no, thank you very much for coming in. Um, look forward to catching up again in the future, mate. Have a good one. Good on you. Thanks, Tim.